And we are absolutely here to worship the Lord. Amen. So we're going to worship Him through the Word. I'm going to begin today in a, going through some passages we went through last Sunday. Acts 7, I'll begin at verse 51. You see, Stephen had already placed his defense not only of himself, but more importantly of the gospel in front of this tribunal, if you will, these these 70 men who were comprised of both Sadducees and Pharisees plus the high priest. And as they began to level charges against Stephen, false witnesses came forward to level these charges. Stephen decided to go ahead and defend the word, not so much Stephen. And so he begins to lay out his defense of the word and his, literally his um, attack, if you will, or uh, upon the, uh, well, hypocrisy of those that are bringing charges against him. We pick it up again in verse 51. And he comes through all of, all of the, his defense, and he comes down to the charge against the leaders of Israel. He says, you stiff-necked people, with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you are just like your fathers. You ever had somebody tell you that? In a negative fashion? Because this was absolutely negative. And how were their fathers? You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was put into effect through angels. But then he continues, but have not obeyed it. You see, the first characteristic of of Stephen, I see, is courage. He knows, as he is preaching to them, we all see your faces when we're preaching. But for Stephen, it was not a pretty scene. You know, the, at first they started squirming in their seats. There are these 70 men who are comprised of these two religious parties. And as he saw them squirming in their seats, he could start seeing the blood pressure rise. Charge after charge after charge was leveled against them. And so here is Stephen watching the anger begin to form in their facial expressions. Their countenances were not pretty at all. They began to be more angry with him. And he saw their anger building. And he knew when he got to this particular charge, you're just like your fathers. They rejected the prophets. They killed the prophets. They rejected the Messiah. You killed the Messiah. And this righteous one that you have just recently killed, his blood is going to be on your hands. And he saw the anger building, and he knew this would result ultimately in his death. Well, the Bible says when they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. That's angry. They were like a pack of ravenous wolves that were grinding their teeth at him. Can you imagine watching the religious leaders of your nation become so enraged 
that they literally became a mob in their own behavior and attributes. And then they rushed at Stephen. Well, Jesus had already warned his disciples that following him uh, might lead you to trouble. In Luke 21, 12 through 19, Jesus put it this way. They will seize you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and put you in prison. And you will be brought before kings and governors and all on account of my name. And so you will bear testimony to me. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves. For I will give you words and wisdoms that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents, brothers, and sisters, relatives, and friends, and they will put some of you to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but not a hair on your head will perish. Stand firm, and you will win life. Oh, I tell you, today, over the last 2,000 years, those words have been borne out. The, the prophecy of Jesus for all those of us that follow Him. And though we have not experienced that physical uh, threat of death, yet so many people over the ages have, and Stephen certainly did. He knew that his time was short. He could see it in their faces. And then as they came across their tables or, or leap, leaped out of their chairs and seized Stephen, he knew his end was done. But his courage was unbelievably profound. Secondly, there was that conviction. Verses 55 and 56. The Bible says, But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Amen. You know, that didn't set well. You remember what Jesus said at his own trial in Matthew twenty-six sixty-four. Jesus replied to them, but I say to all of you, speaking to this same group of men. From now on, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. It was bad enough that Stephen had affirmed what Jesus had said earlier, but the fact that he had seen Jesus standing at the right hand of God indicated that Stephen saw Him in equal portion with God the Father. As the Messiah, that's exactly what He is. And after Jesus' ascension to heaven, He was seated at the right hand of God, the Bible tells us. Mark 16, Hebrews 1, 10, and 12. And so, we see that Jesus was seated at the right hand of the Father. But now you see Him standing. Why? Well, being seated was a symbol, a sign that the mission had been completed. Jesus had done what the Father had asked Him to do. He had entered into this world, fully man, fully God. He had come in the form of flesh. He had proclaimed the good news of, of God the Father. He had 
preached repentance. He had preached forgiveness. He had preached grace. He had become that redemptive person that the Messiah was always predicted to be. He had become the reconciler, reconciling God and man together through Himself. His mission was completed. On the cross when He said it is finished, He's talking about His mission and ministry. And so, after Jesus' ascension to heaven, He was seated at the right hand. But now, what does Stephen say? Look, I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. I agree with some theologians at this point. This is my personal feeling. Is that the reason why Jesus was standing was because he knew Stephen's life was about to be taken. And he was standing to receive Stephen into his kingdom. Can you picture that? It gives me chills just to think about it. That he would get up off his throne and reach his hand down into the earthly realm. And as Stephen was lifting his up, simply take his hand and escort him into heaven. Wow. I don't know about you, but that gives me chill just thinking about it. I believe that with each and every one of us, that happens. I got my library started because I didn't have hardly a dime to my name, and I was working my way through college, just gotten out of the Army and all this other stuff. A man by the name of Carlton Ellis. Never will forget him. His wife uh, was just a jewel. And she called me up one morning. She said, Carlton has passed on. And I I want you to come because he wants you to have his books. Wow. Books to me, (laughs) that's a big deal. I mean, they're friends. And, And I asked her before we went through his library, I said, tell me about him. She said, well, you know what? Carlton went out and planted onions out in our garden. And she said, he said, came in, and it was the strangest thing. He told me, he said, I can't explain it, but I'm never going to see those onions come raised through the garden. She said, three days later, I heard a noise, and he had had a massive heart attack and was lying on his back on the floor in the den. And she said, when I came up to him, he sat straight up, reached his arms out and says, Jesus, I see you coming. Laid back down and died. I thought, wow. And I still have some of his books, yes. But what a blessing it is. Jesus standing up to receive those of us that have been faithful in the gospel ministry to those of us who have lived and worked and and proclaimed the good news of Jesus Christ. To us, those of us, that it's just not something that we do on a schedule in a calendar event to come one hour on Sunday morning. It is a life experience for those of us that truly love Him. And Stephen was there. But you know, let me just say this too about Stephen's conviction of, of how he knew the Lord. The Bible says he was full of the Holy Spirit. Same thing they said about him when he was selected as a deacon. Full of the Holy Spirit. You see, what the leadership of Israel, the religious leadership of Israel, had made a mistake is that when John the Baptist came on the scene as the forerunner of the Messiah, Jesus, he said, I'm I'm 
the forerunner of one whose laces I'm not willing to lace. I'm not even willing to stoop down and, and touch his sandals. This same John the Baptist, when Herod wanted to take his head, none of the religious leadership defended him. And so John the Baptist came as a prophet from God. So the religious leadership rejected God. And then there was the only begotten Son of God. And the only begotten Son of God was Jesus Christ. And it was the religious leadership that not only tried him, turned him over to Pilate, and demanded that he be crucified. So not only did they reject God, but they rejected God's only begotten Son, the Messiah of the world, the Savior of the world. Now look who they're rejecting. The Holy Spirit. You see that? The religious leadership has been given the opportunity to receive not only God the Father, but His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. And yet, there was none of that among that leadership. No reception whatsoever. And he said, I see the Son of Man standing. The Son of Man was a reference in Daniel and Ezekiel to the Messiah. It was a Messianic title that they gave to the Messiah who was promised to come into this world, Son of Man. Ezekiel used it in the 7th chapter of Ezekiel. Ezekiel used it for this purpose to say that the Son of Man designated the fact that the Messiah would come and not only come for Israel, but would come for the Gentiles as well. Being the Son of Man means that He is not exclusive to Israel. He is inclusive of all in the world, regardless of cultural background, regardless of race, and whether they're black, white, it doesn't matter. Regardless of economic status, regardless of of educational level, it really doesn't matter. The Messiah, the Son of Man, came for all mankind. Man, I'm telling you. And so we see the problem is not skin today, it's sin. And Jesus came that that might be forgiven and that we might be restored into a fellowship with God the Father by faith in Him. Well, He continues on His conviction. Look at his commitment. Verse 59. He says, they were stoning him. His conviction. His commitment. They were stoning him. Jesus, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. The same words, basically, that Jesus spoke on the cross. Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Well, Jesus prayed the same prayer, basically. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. They cannot comprehend. It's just not in their wheelhouse at all. And so there we have it. So now, here is his commitment. Not only were his words similar to those of Jesus on the cross, he knew at that moment and earlier that his life was in the hands of the Lord to do with as God so desired. Oh, God could have called His legion of angels down and just wiped the temple place clean of His detractors. But He didn't do that. 
just like he didn't do it with Jesus. Stephen was on a mission. And his commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ was to the extent that whatever you want to do, Lord, I'm in your hands. Have you ever come to that place in your life? I've got a good friend of mine in Kentucky who passed on, but um, he had had, I got the word that he had had a massive heart attack and he was being rushed into a hospital there in the Lexington area. And he told the doctors, the doctor said, you know, I don't know that you're going to even survive the surgery on the table. And he looked up at the doctor with a smile on his face. He said, you know what? It's a win-win situation for me. If I survive the surgery, that's great. But if I don't survive the surgery and go to be with the Lord, it's even greater. You think that was in Stephen's heart at that particular point? Lord, this is win-win. I'm in your hands. He was full of the Holy Spirit. The whole time he had been praying to the Lord, silently in his heart, the Bible tells us in Romans 8, that the Holy Spirit makes intercession on our behalf with the Father. He begins to search our heart. He, he explains to the Father things that are too deep to utter for us. We don't even know how to pray at some times. We don't know how, what people's circumstances or situations are. We don't know what's in their heart. We don't know anything. So we just say, Lord, you know the situation. I don't know how to pray about this particular individual or, or circumstance. You know. I can't do it. And so... The Bible says that he was full of the Holy Spirit which simply meant that he was permeated completely by the Holy Spirit. He had been in prayer with the Father. The Holy Spirit was making intercession on him. He was in prayer the whole time. And Jesus affirmed him. Stood up by the throne. Opened the heavens and said, Stephen, it's all right. I got you. I got you. Well, it must have impacted young Saul of Tarsus. Because the Bible says when he cried out, Lord Jesus, and Lord, do not hold this sin against them. The word Lord must have penetrated the heart of Paul because he used that word some 270 times in his letter. You think Stephen didn't have an impact? Well, here's what I want to raise to you today. And I want to end on this note. Not only was Stephen convicted, but he knew that his life, his testimony, his witness would continue, not only into eternity, but on the face of planet Earth. He didn't know how. It's not in his hands. Trust doesn't mean that he, he dictates how life goes on after his death. It wasn't what he was doing. But he understood that his life would continue for eternity and that his witness would continue until the Lord Jesus Christ returned again. Now, how does that sit with you? Augustine said if St. Stephen had not spoken thus, if he had not prayed thus, the church would not have had Paul. The Bible says that they began to stone him. They rushed him. They dragged him out of the city. They began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Deuteronomy says that when someone blasphemes God, they had two or three witnesses must necessarily testify to that fact. And it would be the witnesses that brought the charges against that individual to have that person stoned 
would be the ones that would cast the first stones. So these two witnesses, as wrong as they were, laid their garments at the feet of Saul of Tarsus. You couldn't help believe, but believe that Saul of Tarsus heard everything that Stephen said. You know that he was one of the perpetrators for the trial, one of the perpetrators for the execution, the stoning. And he, you'll see, was one who was leading the charge against the Christian church. Well, but the words and the countenance on Stephen's face and the fact that he looked up into heaven and said the words that he said. And then finally, as he is in a weakened state, these witnesses and those others that would grab stones and began to pummel his body, his face bashed and bleeding and bloody and and it was a gory, ugly, nasty scene. The Bible says as he fell on his knees, he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And the Bible says when he said that, he fell asleep. In the New Testament, sleep is seen as a transition between life and eternity. Not really sleeping, but it's, it's that easy, peaceful period where we just extend into eternity. Well, the blood of the martyrs has always been the seed of the church. Today, there are many people worldwide being martyred for the Lord Jesus Christ. There are people who are being killed in different cultures and different circumstances because they have confessed Jesus Christ as Lord. They know this. So many of them come out of villages that they know If anybody finds out that you know Jesus, you're going to be killed. I've read accounts and I've heard testimony by people that saying they went to certain apartments at night without any light with hoodies over their heads so they couldn't be identified as they met for Bible study and worship. There are others that come out of certain communities whose whose fathers, whose sisters, whose brothers, whose family members will turn them over to the authorities that despise Christianity. Well, you and I live in a country where that's not really being required, at least not yet. However, sometimes I think that it's more difficult to live your testimony than to die for it. Sometimes I think the most difficult testimony and witness that we have is our earthly life being lived out in the different arenas of life that we face. For example, sometimes we find ourselves in economic problems and economic issues, just wondering where the next paycheck's going to come or where the next money will be able to support our lifestyle. Sometimes it's in other types. Sometimes it's relational, where You come to know Christ as your Lord and Savior and you're the only member in the family. This is where Jesus says your your parents will turn against you, your brothers and sisters, and there's cousins, and it goes on down. Friends will turn against you, and you wonder, "Why, why me, Lord? I mean, were you not supposed to give me joy? Where's that? Jesus said, it'll be there. You turn to me. And then there are those circumstances like health issues that 
a lot of people are dealing with today. You wonder, you come to that place and why, Lord, I have served you faithfully and I've got cancer. Why would I have cancer? Why would I wind up in the ICU? The answer is simple. So that you can be a testimony to those nurses and assistants and doctors that are ministering to you. That are ministering to you. Sometimes we we actually get that self-centered viewpoint where we say, well, Lord, I don't understand it. Why do good things happen to bad people? And then why do bad things happen to good people? Why are people who are not serving you prospering and I'm struggling out here, Lord? Why is that? And God would simply say something to the effect that because I need your witness in that one place that you're struggling, I need your witness. And I need you to be faithful. I need you to do that. You're laying, every time you do something, every time you come in contact with somebody, you're literally laying your cloak down at their feet as a testimony. And they're watching you. And what are they seeing in your lifestyle? Are you just sitting there whining about life? Or do you really embrace it knowing that God is going to be glorified in each and everything that you are accomplishing? Wow. Sometimes it's harder to live for the Lord than to die for Him. There was a young missionary by the name of Jim Elliott. He was a missionary to the Aka Indians. In 1948, Jim Elliott wrote, I seek not a long life, but a full one. Like you, Lord Jesus. Two years later, Elliot wrote this. I must not think it strange if God takes in youth whom I would have kept on earth till they were older. God is peopling eternity. And I must not restrict Him to old men and women. And then in January 8, 1956, Jim Elliot and four companions were slain by the very people that they were trying to reach for the Lord. He would write, and he would keep in his wallet, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Wow. Stephen, you're no fool, son. You stepped over into glory in Jesus Himself ushered you in. What a blessing. What a blessing. And chapter 8 starts out with, and Saul was there giving approval to his death. But Saul never got over it. And the people that your living testimony as well as your verbal testimony are reaching will never get over it. If you do it in the power of the Holy Spirit, it will always be there. So what is your testimony today? How have you continued your walk with the Lord? And maybe you're here this morning or you're listening online and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. The question is, why not? No excuse. No one can give you life abundantly and eternally but Jesus Christ. He's the only way the only truth and the only life. And maybe you've never, maybe you've trusted Jesus Christ recently, but you've never followed Him in baptism. And then there is 
church family, church membership. Some of you are looking for a church home. We have a great family here. I strongly encourage you, if you want to go to work for the Lord and you're looking for a church family, this is a great place to be a part of. But for all of us, Lord, I want my witness to be continual. I want it to be on purpose. I want to recognize the fact that you're with me every step of the way, regardless of the circumstance, regardless of the situation, wherever I might be. Lord, I'm yours. And whatever you choose to do with me, it's just fine. Just let me be faithful in my witness at that point. Stand with me in prayer. Our most gracious Father, we just thank you for this day, for this blessing that's ours in Jesus. Lord God, I just pray that if there are those listening today that have never trusted you as their Lord and Savior, today will be the day they'll trust you. Father, I pray that for each and every one of us, we look at our lives, Lord God. Allow us during these circumstances not to look down, not to look inward, but to look up. Lord, you're the author and finisher of our faith. You're our advocate with the Father. You're the one that stiffens our steps every day. Thank you. Father, I praise you for who you are and for what you're accomplishing here. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I pray you have a fantastic week in the Lord. I'll be here uh, after the service is over at the front to just talk to anybody who is contemplating any kind of decision, whatever it might be, or any questions that you might have. May God bless each and every one of you.